Hello, and welcome to Story and Fiction Podcast number 14. The award-winning short story, Sushian's Escape, read by the author. A Chinese girl, abducted and imported illegally into the syndicated New Orleans sex trade, befriends one of her handlers, scheming to escape and fulfill her dreams of living the American dream. After many attempts to gain freedom, she finally succeeds, but not to the world of her dream. I'm Bill Coles, your host. So, let's get started. Su Xin's Escape by William H. Coles Antoine lit a cigarette with a lighter from the dash of the 27-year-old 1976 Lincoln Continental and leaned forward with both arms on the steering wheel. Harry beat out a rhythm on the dashboard with both hands. And he sang a song of lost love. Antoine liked the tune, liked the way his cousin could make it flow. Antoine watched the green two-story frame house across the street from where they were parked on a side street in Gretna. The image of the thin child, Su Xin, the 11-year-old Chinese girl, materialized in the dark, narrow alley between the houses, the blurred outline of a man blocking the alley behind her. She was naked except for a pair of patent leather Mary Janes. She stopped before stepping into the glint of the morning sun and slid a lace-trimmed white dress over her head, pushing her arms out through the sleeve holes. She smoothed the fabric in front with both hands, and the hem fell to her ankles. Ah, she's done, Antoine said. Harry stopped his rhythm and got out of the car. He met the girl still in the shadows, grabbed her arm, and brought her quickly to the car, her moving feet barely touching the ground. Harry opened the back door and shoved her into the back seat. Don't push me. Sushen said, kicking out, her shoe heel glancing off Harry's arm. The girl made money, and this guy in the shadows was one of her many repeats. But Antoine didn't trust her. Something about the way her eyes held his, hard and cold in their darkness, and the way she never flinched if he had to cuff her. A taper, he said. I got a bad feeling. We ain't going that far, Harry said. See? Even Harry was ornery now, started about the time this girl arrived in a shipment of twelve. Strange, too, because the kid was all girl, I mean nothing womanly, like a twig in a forest of leafy branches. That paradise motel near the airport, Antoine said. Tape hurt, said Shushin. That proved it, pure trouble, the way she just butt in like she belonged. Ride with her, then, Antoine said to Harry. Harry shoved Shushin over to one side on the back seat to make room. He slammed the back door as Antoine cranked the motor. But don't put down them locks, Harry said. Harry was a goddamn two-year-old trapped in the body of King Kong sometimes. Antoine undid the child-proof locks on the back doors. I don't like the door locked, Harry said, feeling foolish when the fear of being closed in grabbed him. The Lincoln Continental rolled down the expressway. Antoine kept in the right lane, five miles an hour below the speed limit. Harry's big head blocked half his view out the rearview mirror. He checked the side mirrors for cops. He was clean, but Harry had a prior for assault with a parole violation. The kid wasn't in the mirror. He glanced back over his right shoulder. Nothing. 
She was either lying down or she'd slipped over next to the door. He reached for a rumpled cigarette pack wedged between the windshield and the dash, squeezed out the end of the last cigarette that he extracted with tight lips, and lit up. The silence from the back seat mounted. Then he heard the... The kid was beating her shoe against the door frame, grooving on the beat like a pro, the pulse asking for more. Sure enough, Harry's big hands clapped soft but firm with an emphasis laid on the offbeat. Without thinking, Antoine beat his thumb against the steering wheel. He tucked the Lincoln in behind a bakery truck. Harry started singing, his voice filling up the car, and the kid making oo-oo's like a real backup. It's down in Pascagoula, where the women do the hula, and the men, they the ones, they the ones, ooh, 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 wicky-wacky-wicky-wacky-woo. For a few bars, Harry and Sushin clapped and tapped almost perfectly in their shared drive. Then they shifted in unison to a slower groove, four to the bar. Harry's voice fell off a minor third. Ooh, ooh, he wailed. Ooh, ooh, the kid chimed in. Harry chuckled. Then, smooth as a river running, the two of them were back working on and off the beat, setting up for another verse. God damn her. She could work Harry like a dog jumping through hoops. Tolls, Antoine said. Harry shoved Shushin down in the footwell to hide her as Antoine held bills out to the collector. Be quiet, he said. The engine strained when the Lincoln started up the bridge incline over the Mississippi. Two minutes later, the car slowed in traffic. Shushin stiffened, her teeth clenched. She yanked the door handle, shoved the door open, rolled out headfirst, flipping on her back. In seconds, she was up running toward the guardrail, the river so much bigger than the stream that ran near her village in China. Horns blared. Fast cars moved in the opposite direction. Harry yelled behind her. How close was he? A sports car hit her, throwing her up on the hood, screeching to a stop, the girders above her weaving like dragon's tails. Harry grabbed her before she slid off to the pavement, held her so close his hot breath smothered her face. Her leg began to throb. She could barely see out of one eye, but her heart squeezed fast and strong. Shouldn't have done that, Harry whispered to her. Antoine's going to kill you. The sports car guy came running up, screaming about his innocence. With one arm still holding Sushen, Harry picked him up and threw him against the side of the car so hard his head flew back on the roll bar with a crunch. Harry grunted satisfaction as the guy slumped half-conscious. Sushen moaned when Harry put her in the car. Stay with her, Antoine said. He blew the horn, waved at people. He had to get moving before any cops came. He'd have to switch the plates again. Find something in the Marriott garage from Ohio or Indiana this time. In a couple minutes, they were at the exit ramp. He was out of cigarettes. The kid trembled, her head in Harry's hands, her shoulders on his thigh, her legs out on the seat. She breathing? Antoine asked into the back seat. Blood coming out her mouth. A trickle of dark red mixed with spit foam dripped on Harry's thigh. Her legs getting bigger, Harry said. Antoine caught a red light. He looked back. The girl's chest moved with quick in and outs. Her dress was torn, her upper leg a sick purple. 
No one would pay for sex with a bleeding, moaning kid. He hated to stiff the guy on Airline Highway, but he headed for Claiborne to get on I-10. She bad, Harry said. She real bad. Su Xin heard Harry's words as if the volume had been turned to maximum in a set of headphones. She did not think about dying, and she wondered if she could run with her leg hurting. She coughed. What was that? Antoine said. Harry saw a bloody tooth on the seat. She bad, he repeated. Well, shit. Antoine was going as fast as he could without putting them behind bars. Her eye looked crooked, Harry said, like he blamed Antoine. It was Harry's fault she got out. No locks. Harry had jumped at the click of a deadbolt sliding home since he was in Angola for two years, five months, like he caught a phobia, and now we can't lock the back doors. Antoine wasn't being unreasonable. Okay, he didn't like kids, but he wasn't a monster, and he never let a guy down, or a kid for that matter. He was taking her to the dock, for Christ's sake. How many guys would do that? How many, he said out loud. What'd you say? Harry said. But Antoine didn't explain. Harry was slow to understand sometimes, and too soft to keep rules. Antoine pulled into a mall and parked. Harry followed him, carrying the kid through the door, between a liquor store and a Goodwill clothing outlet, marked in faded yellow letters, Office Hours, 10 to 2, Monday, Wednesday, Thursday. The doc sat alone at a desk in a single room. Harry laid Sushen on a bare examining table, with metal stirrups on one end. Ah, shit, that's repulsive, the doc said, swirling back and forth in his chair, his short-sleeved, pale tan shirt with yellow brush-like swirl patterns unbuttoned halfway down the slope of his hairy chest. He was a hundred pounds overweight. Hit by a car, Antoine said. Hey, take her to charity. She's illegal. I don't do trauma. Sushin's legs spasmed for a few seconds. The big man pays you damn good, Antoine said. Too much. Uh, not for this, the doc belched. Antoine was close enough to whiff the scent of decayed oranges and cheap booze, like the man's insides needed to be flushed down a toilet. The doc stood up. He took a wooden tongue blade from his shirt pocket. He lifted the kid's dress fabric with the blade careful not to touch anything bloody. Still, with the tongue blade, he pushed up a swollen eyelid and stared at a pupil. She'll live, said the doc. Aren't you going to x-ray or something? Antoine said. Hey, do you see an x-ray machine? She could die, Harry said. She ain't going to die, the doc said. The doc picked up a wallet off his desk and left through a back door that went straight to a service alley. Office closed, he said. He slammed the door shut. Antoine pointed for Harry to get the kid. Where are we going? Harry asked. Auntie's, Antoine said. She'll do something. Sushin felt the big arms cradling her again, her mind clear, her stomach churned. Her tongue probed the sore little craters where her teeth were gone. Her leg ached, but she thought she could walk if she had to. With her non-blurred eye, she searched from habit for locks on the doors. Then, when the sunlight glared on her, she squeezed her good eye closed and went limp to let Harry think her mind had shut down her body for a while. The Lincoln got to Auntie's in Plaquemine Paris just before five, a rooster tail of almost white dust pluming up behind that monster car. 
Auntie went downstairs out of the farmhouse, stood there waiting as they drove up, her arms crossed. She was heavy, big-boned and barren, her blood Indian, Creole, and black, and every corpuscle heavy with this love-hate feeling for kids. It was a mystery why she took care of them at all after being in the trade for thirty years. "'Hey, you whack this one?' Auntie said to Antoine as Harry worked at getting Sushin out of the car so she didn't hurt. Watch your mouth, Antoine said. Auntie's hands probed Sushin's thigh while she was still in Harry's arms. Sushin cried out. Auntie pushed on Sushin's belly. Sushin moaned. Auntie looked under Sushin's swollen eyelid. Sushin's eye was seeing well now, and she locked on Auntie's gaze. Auntie frowned and turned away. Put her to the right of the door in the bedroom, Auntie said to Harry, and pulled Antoine's shirt to move him a few feet so no one could hear. Cash up front, she said. Hey, she's big money. Next to top in the convention trade, she's good for it. We ain't got cash. Out of where, Auntie said. Mayor Bull and Kenner. Tell Mayor Bull she to bring that cash down here personal. You got my word, Antoine said sincerely. Ain't that a lot of slippery shit? Sushin lay on her back on a cot with no mattress. The only window had a yellow shade pulled down, and the dim light from the filtered sun wasn't strong enough to define the floral details on the scruffy wallpaper. Two bunk beds were stacked as a unit against the opposite wall. The lump of a girl bulged under a sheet. The ends of her straight long hair, shiny as a black lacquered piano, hung over the edge of the lower bunk. The upper bunk didn't have a mattress. Harry was gone, but his words stayed with Xuxian. Give it up, he said as his breath tickled her ear. The beat don't work good. He didn't touch her. Xuxian dozed to the sounds of flies chasing each other around the room. She woke just before all the light faded. The girl under the sheet hadn't moved. Xuxian could hear Auntie bumping around somewhere down below on the first floor. Sushin was achy all over, but less now. Her leg throbbed, but once she stood and pressed down, the pain eased a little. Who are you? she called to the lump on the bed. She waited a minute. You alive? She hobbled over slowly and peeled back the sheet. She sucked in a rush of air. <gasps> you beautiful, she said, suddenly aware of trying to use her very best English. The girl had the delicate sculpted features of a porcelain doll, and her eyes were wide open, the whites showing all around irises so brown they seemed almost black as the pupil. She stared straight through Sushin, deep into some other galaxy. My name's Sushin, from China. Six months. Came on a ship. The girl didn't change. You sleep like that? Sushin asked. With your eyes open? She thought the girl's eyes focused a little. Her lips parted slightly. You like it here? Sushin asked. The girl closed her eyes slowly. She was breathing faster, and she turned away. She wasn't a druggie, Sushin thought. Her eyes were too hard for that. Auntie's mountainous form filled the open door behind Sushin. Auntie came into the room, light from the hall making a faint halo around her. She talked to you? Auntie asked. Sushin didn't move keeping her back to Auntie. Well, don't be bothering her, Auntie said. She's having some time to herself until she talks again. Sushin stayed stone still, not knowing how to feel about Auntie. 
but she wasn't afraid. Auntie gave Sushian a bowl of red beans and rice with a plastic spoon stuck in it and pulled up a chair next to the girl to begin feeding her soup from a Campbell's can. Mushrooms the only thing she'll eat. Don't like tomato, Auntie said mostly to herself. When she finished, Auntie turned to take Sushian's empty bowl. You moving better than I thought. You scamming, Auntie? Sushian stayed quiet. Well, you pick up that chamber potty and empty it in the bathroom down the hall before I lock up again. Wash it out good, too. For hours after Auntie closed the door and turned the key in the lock, Sushin lay on her cot, but no sleep came. She wondered where that girl's eyes were looking, what they saw. She wondered if she was thinking about men, how men treated girls. She wondered if the girl thought, too, if you did right, maybe someday a man take you away and be good to you. All the girls had heard of that happening, a nice man. But they never knew anyone it happened to, only knew by the storytelling that skipped from girl to girl like a flu bug. It was still half dark when Sushan awoke. The lump girl was sitting on the floor cross-legged, her hands on her stomach, and she was rocking slow. Front, back, front. Sushin eased off the bed and stretched, watched the girl. Sushin's leg and chest hurt less. Two glasses of water and a saucer with two oven-cooked rolls sat on the floor inside the locked door. Sushin drank and ate a roll. You want some of this? she said, tempted to eat the second roll. But the girl said nothing, and Sushin left the water and the roll close enough for her to reach. Sushin's leg didn't bend easily, and she lay down on her side, her leg straight out to one side, her head propped up on her hand with her arm on the floor, bent at the elbow. The black-haired girl still rocked, forward, back, forward. My mother's dead. Father dead, too, Sushin said, staring under the bed as if to find some hidden non-person in the dark recess. Back, forward, back, the girl went on, her eyes never blinking. Yours, too? Your parents? Sushin asked. Forward, back, forward, about as fast as a pendulum in a giant clock. It's okay. I know you're like the rest of us, Sushin said. Sometime you need to get away. The girl still rocking. The door unlocked and Auntie came in. In the name of God, leave that child alone. You too healthy and she too sick to keep bothering her. She yanked Sushin to sitting, then grabbed the girl's shoulder to stop her rocking and held the glass of water to the girl's mouth. The girl swallowed a few times. And now for you, she said, grabbing Sushin. I'll take you to the bathroom to wash that dried blood off. Then I'll sew up that dress and give it a good wash. That night, after Auntie put them both in bed, Auntie came back with a flashlight because the light socket for the screw bulb in the ceiling was empty. She sat in a chair next to the girl's bed, her back to Sushin. She opened a book with a torn red cover. Sushin was lying on her cot, looking to the ceiling. It was Toto. Auntie read in a low sing-song voice. Who was Toto? Sushin asked. Hey, shut your face, Auntie said, shining the light straight into Sushin's eyes. This is Helen's story. Sushin turned away, but not far enough so she couldn't hear. You don't need storytelling. 
Auntie said to Sushin before turning her flashlight back to the book again to read. It was Toto that made Dorothy laugh and saved her from growing as gray as her other surroundings. Auntie paused. Toto was not gray. He was a little black dog with long silky hair and small black eyes that twinkled merrily on either side of his funny wee nose. Toto played all day long and Dorothy played with him and loved him dearly. Who's Dorothy? Sushin couldn't keep from asking. She's an orphan. Now hold your tongue. But the meanness was not in her voice. Auntie continued loud enough that Sushin could hear. Today, however, they were not playing. Uncle Henry sat upon the doorstep. Sushin wondered what Uncle Henry would do to Dorothy. They'd listened all about Kansas and Oz, a world that, as Auntie continued reading, Sushin imagined might be the real America. A lightning bolt lit up the room bright as day after 2 a.m. Sushin sat straight up, and in the afterflash, the room seemed pitch black. Even the thin strip of pale yellow under the door from the hall overhead bulb was wiped out. Sushin stood up, limped to the window, and raised the shade. The sky swirled with gray clouds. Sheets of rain streaked across the yard, and lightning pulsed the pewter sky. The girl was sitting, too, her eyes fixed on Sushin. It's okay, Sushin said, recovering quickly. She had survived too many nights in the open hut of her grandmother, or, more recently, the lean-to shared with her uncle for a while, with storms raging around her to worry. She sat next to the girl. We got to get away, Sushin said. You understand? The girl stared at her with eyes black in the darkness. She turned her head, and her black hair flowed around her face. Now, Sushin said. No, the girl said. Her voice was deep and raspy. We can do it, Sushin said. No. She shoved Sushin away, and she took a deep breath and screamed. What are you doing? You go, the girl said. You too. I can't, she said. I don't think right sometime. The girl's eyes had shifted from terror to some fierce determination. She screamed again, getting off the bed, and she took a chair that Auntie had been reading in and smashed the window twice so all the glass was gone. The key in the lock turned, and as Auntie rumbled in, the girl, after a quick glance of clear bolt sanity thrown at Sushin, headed for the window, throwing herself half out, but not far enough to fall. Auntie lunged across and grabbed the girl by the legs. You crazy, she said. It's a long way down. The door was open. Sushin slipped out, felt her way down the stairs, out the front door, across the porch. She could see orange groves outlined against the sky. Rain swept across her face until she reached the protection of the first line of trees. She stumbled on, running as fast as her sore leg would allow. It would be many minutes before Auntie could follow. She heard Helen still screaming, demanding Auntie's attention. Even hurting, Sushan knew she could keep her distance from someone as big and slow as Auntie. In minutes she reached the river and headed downstream looking for something that would float. Soon the rain stopped, the wind died, and an almost full moon threw glints on the surface of the water. Antoine and Harry arrived the next morning to take Sushin back. Auntie didn't offer them anything to drink. Last time I saw her, she was headed for the grove toward the river. It was a hell of a storm, Auntie said. We gotta take her away, said Harry. 
Jesus said, Antoine, did you go after her? I don't go looking for runaways. Mayor Bull transferred her to Houston, Antoine said. They got tight discipline down there, and she's a moneymaker. That girl is full of Tabasco, Auntie said. There's only one road out. That's where she'll be, Antoine said. She don't know the road or the river, Auntie said. You think she's hiding, Antoine asked. Maybe, but she's smart as they come. Might be long gone by now. Antoine signaled Harry to move to the car. Road's the only way out, he said. Where's my money, Auntie said. I ain't paying for letting a kid get away, Antoine said. Antoine was out the door, following Harry to the car. Auntie grabbed her shotgun from behind the kitchen door, stepped back outside. Cocksucker, Auntie yelled. She was waving the shotgun, holding it with one hand in the middle. You ever show up here again, I'll blow your head off. There was a white girl standing in the door behind Auntie. Even from a distance, she was so ghostly beautiful with her white skin and long black hair, glistening like black silk. One of the nutcases Auntie was famous for bringing back into the world for service. Auntie slammed the door and drove off. That Auntie's one weird bitch, Antoine said to Harry. Probably let the kid go. Antoine and Harry used up a tank of gas cruising the only long road that led out of the parish, but they didn't see the girl. You think she's all right? Harry asked. She gotta be alive, or we're gator meat, Antoine said. She's worth a lot of money. Antoine had to poke Harry to keep him awake, keep him looking. You big dumb gorilla, he thought. But Harry was good kin. Shit. They'd drawn women's tits on bathroom walls at school together. They'd buddied up with whores. Harry had saved his life, too. Once on a B&E, when the owner tried to kill him with a shotgun. Once in a knife fight in the Ninth Ward. At night, they slept in the car in a truck stop parking lot before heading south in the early morning. They changed their search, asking in the towns for anyone who'd seen a pretty barefoot Chinese girl about four feet high wearing a ripped-up white dress. It was just after seven o'clock. They cornered Sushin in the storeroom of a convenience store just north of Venice. The woman owner had let a Chinese girl sleep for a few hours after her daughter found her near the river and brought her home. Sushin awoke startled by an outside noise. The windowless room was black until the door opened and the light from the store's fluorescent overhead bulbs outlined Antoine's silhouette coming toward her. Framed in the door behind Antoine was the bulk of Harry. Antoine gripped her arm with a force she knew and dreaded and pulled her upright. In seconds, he dragged her into the store toward the high counter where the woman owner stood watching. Sushin looked around. Through the glass door in the front, she could see two gas pumps with a red pickup truck parked in front with the tailgate down and long lengths of lumber sticking out a few feet with a red flag hanging limply on the end of the longest board. A door to the restroom opened. She watched a man come out, go through the door toward the pickup. Harry went into the restroom. Antoine let her go and he turned to buy a lighter and cigarettes. She slipped down the aisle between the motor oil and the potato chips, out the door. She grabbed the lumber on the back of the truck and pulled herself up as the truck accelerated and lurched without a stop onto the road. She was in the truck and lying face down, the truck bed vibrating under her as the truck went through gears to reach cruising speed. She stayed low. Within two minutes, looking back, 
She saw the Lincoln, the headlights flashing. It gained on the truck, the horn blaring. The pickup slowed. Antoine pulled up to the side of the truck. He was yelling for the pickup to pull over. The pickup stopped. Antoine parked the Lincoln in front of the truck, off the road. Sushin slipped down from a truck bed and limped up a drive toward a house, but Antoine and Harry reached her before she could hide. Harry was breathing hard. What a way to make a living, Antoine said as he and Harry took Sushin back toward the Lincoln. The pickup driver was explaining he didn't know she was there. I'm cool, Antoine said. Why are you chasing her? The driver said. Wise up, man. Forget you ever saw her. While Harry held Sushin, Antoine emptied the trunk of the Lincoln, a bag of golf clubs, a styrofoam cooler, fishing rods, small outboard motor, and a five-gallon can of gasoline. He put them in the back seat. Then, with two-inch tape, he bound Sushin's arms to her chest with around-the-body passes from shoulders to waist. It was hard for Sushin to take a deep breath. I could keep her up front, Harry said. Antoine lifted Sushin's dress and made seven passes of tape around her thighs. I ain't taking any chances. We got a long way to go. He made seven more passes of tape around her ankles. She was still standing when Antoine picked her up and put her in the trunk. Damn if she can get out of that, he said. Harry held the trunk lid open when Antoine tried to close it. Antoine wanted to belt Harry, but he held back. They needed to be moving. Be sure it's locked, Antoine said and went to the front. Harry turned Sushin on her back, took a loose tire iron from out under her, and put it next to the back seat where it wouldn't hurt, and shut the lid. In minutes they were on their way to Houston, back through New Orleans because that was the only way out of the Delta. Antoine smoked continuously as he drove. Harry slept with his head against the door until they reached Port Sulfa. Sushin had cried out a few times, but there were no sounds from the trunk now. Maybe she don't need to go to Houston, Harry said. And maybe Maribel and the big man will just be happy that all that money to get the kid bought in China, on top of the cash to ship her and slip her in, will never be returned. Houston, not a good place, Harry said. Maybe they'll send her back when she gets broken in, Antoine said. She got the beat. They're kids, for Christ's sake, Antoine said. You gotta learn not to care, Harry. They ain't like regular people. They stayed quiet, passing through Algiers, then New Orleans, then up on the I-10. Soon they were near the airport. Sushin was yelling. See if you can tell what she wants, Antoine said. Harry leaned over the back seat and pushed the motor and the gas can aside. She needs to pee, he said. Shit, tell her we ain't stopping until we get to Houston. Harry told her loud so she could hear through the back seat. I gotta go bad, she yelled. Antoine heard that. Harry came back in the front seat. We gotta let her pee, he said. Okay, okay. Antoine pulled onto the breakdown lane where it was dark. He popped the trunk lid. Go get her. Antoine opened the front and rear doors on the right side. Bring her in between the doors. No one will see. Harry set her down on her feet between the doors and had to hold her upright. She was too tightly taped to bend. I can't sit, Sushin said. Do it standing up, then, Antoine said. I can't. 
We got to cut the tape, Harry said. We ain't cutting the tape. I only got a couple feet left. Let it go, Antoine said to Shushin and hit her lightly on the head. Harry still held her, afraid she'd fall over. I can't. But in a few seconds her dress went dark, and then a puddle formed in the dust. I'm wet. That's so terrible, Antoine whined. We should have cut the tape, Harry said. Put her back in the car. I ain't touching her. We got something to wipe her off, Harry asked. Some paper towels under the seat. They were back on the road. Harry rested against the door but didn't sleep. Antoine turned on the radio. What if she calls out or something, Harry said. Won't make any difference. We won't hear. Okay, I'll turn it down. Antoine turned the music down a little. Harry reached forward and turned it off. Hey, asshole, I'm not driving all the way to Houston without music, Antoine said. Traffic was light. Antoine drafted behind an 18-wheeler in the slow lane to avoid attention. Sushin called out half an hour later. I can't breathe. Did you hear that? Harry said. She must be breathing. She's yelling, for Christ's sake. We gotta go check. We don't have to check. I'm not stopping till we need gas. There might be no air back there. There's enough. Harry stared straight ahead for a few minutes. She ain't said nothing, he said. We got an hour, Harry. An hour before we need gas. Harry growled as he turned to shove Antoine on the shoulder, shoving him up against the driver's side door. We got a check, he said. Antoine looked at Harry in surprise. Jesus, Harry, don't ever do that again. I'd have to whack you. He kept driving. Harry was breathing fast, his eyes wide with anger. He drew back and threw a right fist at the side of Antoine's head. Antoine blacked out for a few seconds, his hand slipping off the wheel, the cruise control holding steady. The Lincoln left the road. Antoine, alert in seconds, realized the danger, turned the wheel, jammed the brakes. The car swerved to the left and the right, then hit a low bridge abutment head-on. Harry moaned. The engine hissed, but it stopped running, pushed back against the firewall by the impact. The dashboard was crumpled. The steering wheel inches from Antoine's chest. The front window cracked and mostly gone. The night air floated into the car, damp and oppressive, mixing with the smell of gasoline from the tip gas can in the back seat that stung Antoine's nostrils. Can you move? Antoine asked Harry. Harry worked to open the door. Get out, Antoine said. Antoine's door was crushed and he slid out Harry's side. He could not let the kid be found or any evidence remain in the car. Run, he said to Harry. He reached in his pocket, lit a lighter, and threw it in the back seat. There was a burst of flame. He pushed Harry. Run, it'll blow. The key, Harry said. The kid. Leave her, Antoine said. But the keys were to too many locks, could be evidence, and they were in his hand. He slipped them in his pockets. It's going to blow, he said. Antoine started running. Harry went to the trunk, pulled open the lid. Nothing budged. He kicked once, twice, three times. Fire flared at the open doors. Finally, the trunk lid rose. Harry grabbed Sushin, her skin pale, her eyes shut. 
Antoine was 30 yards away now. The explosion, loud enough to hurt the ears, shot flames above the trees into the night. Metal and glass propelled with bullet speed. Harry didn't stop running, Sushin cradled in his arms. The clothes on his back burst into flame. His right carotid artery had been severed by a piece of glass that glinted on the side of his neck. He stumbled on, finally falling forward. Sushin hit the ground face first. Harry fell just behind her. Antoine reached Harry in seconds and stopped out the few burning cloth fragments that remained. Then he rolled his cousin over. He was breathing. Harry coughed on his own blood. His eyes opened. She okay? he asked. Antoine swore. The flames threw flickering shadows on his face and pinpoint wiggling reflections glowed in his eyes. Antoine turned Sushin over. She'd been dead a while. He could tell from the bloodless facial wounds. Antoine, Harry gasped. She okay? She'll make it, Antoine said. You take care of her, here? Sure, man. Despite the burning glow on his skin from the fire, Antoine shivered. He crossed himself. Harry stopped breathing. The fire died in his eyes. The spirit shimmered out of him. God bless you, you big dumb gorilla. The danger's in the caring, not the cops or the FBI or the syndicate. You cared too much, like you ever listened. Antoine knelt down and closed Harry's eyelids. He picked up the kid and tossed her into the flames of the Lincoln's burning trunk. And then, as cars stopped and people were closing in from many directions, he blended into the dark to zigzag a course that would take him away from the city for a while. This story and more than 33 others can be enjoyed free online as well as five novels at storyandliteraryfiction.com, a website dedicated to providing resources for fiction writers, resources that include essays, interviews, a blog, a newsletter, a workshop and tutorial, and much, much more. Hey, thanks for listening, and goodbye. This podcast is a production of storyandliteraryfiction.com.